Well, I want to say hi to everyone here in Knox Hall and those joining us in the sanctuary or online, wherever you are today. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, before we get to the sermon of the day, uh, I have an announcement I want to catch you up on. Uh, this past Tuesday, uh, we finally closed on the sale of approximately 11 acres of land. And I say finally because Ward Church members voted to sell the land a couple years ago. Uh, it has taken this long for the township and the developers to get on the same page. Uh, and you may remember we sold this portion of land with the ball diamonds to a senior housing facility. And so we'll relocate those ball diamonds to another area of our property. Uh, and the construction for these senior apartments will begin this spring. Um, and this represents a tremendous, tremendous amount of work uh, on behalf of our site development team, our campus service team, and our board of trustees. And I cannot express my gratitude enough for all of their hard work over these past couple years. Thank you, thank you, thank you, whoever you are uh, in here or online. Thank you for serving. Um, we have been in a series looking at the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest man to ever live, Jesus of Nazareth. And we've been looking at this upside-down reality of his words uh, compared to the many other sources of wisdom in our world. And today is no exception. Today we find ourselves listening in on the hillside as Jesus tells us his thoughts on the purpose of the Bible. And he has three declarations we must hear if we want to make sense of the Bible. He, he has first, the law that we need. Second, the law that won't go away. And third, the law that is fulfilled. The law we need, the law that won't go away. And lastly, the law that is fulfilled. First, the law we need. At the beginning of the passage that was just read, uh, we hear these words, Jesus saying, do not think... Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Jesus tells us to contrary of his growing reputation that he is trying to do away with the Bible. He's actually telling us that there is this law we need. Now, why do I say that? Uh, Jesus uses this word uh, to think, which in the Greek is namizo, which comes from the word namos, which is the Greek word for law. Namidzo and namas. There's this close connection between our ability to think and to make sense of the world and the importance of the law. Without its guidance and direction, we cannot make sense of reality. And right now, I know there's somebody in this room, somebody online who's saying, come on, Tyler, you're nuts. This, this, we're in the 2000s now. Really, you want to go back and talk about this is the law we need? Well, just stick with me for now. Uh, there's a Canadian philosopher named Charles Taylor who said 500 years ago, uh, we in the Western culture lived in a world what he would call the age of accountability or the age of authority. We had rulers and kings and sovereigns uh, who were in positions of power, but they were not there as representatives of the people. They were there because they were in charge. And everyone, wherever you are in that community, knew these were the people of power and they were in control. It was the age of authority. But Taylor says that today in Western culture, 
And very much in America, we live in a world that he describes the age of authenticity. The age of authenticity. No outside controls to govern my life. I must be true to myself. I must express who I really am. That is my governing authority. And you don't need to listen to Charles Taylor to prove this point. You just simply need to listen to the lyrics of the very well-known song sung by Elsa herself in the movie Frozen. She sings this, And the fears that once controlled me can't get to me at all. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go. Now, please don't start singing that. And I do pray that this song does not get stuck in the head for the rest of the day. But this is exactly what Taylor is calling the age of authenticity. No right, no wrong, no rules. I'm free. But what Taylor is telling us and what many other atheist philosophers from Nietzsche to Terry Ingleton to Thomas Nagel and many more, they are saying removing the law does not bring freedom. It only exposes we have no grounds for logic, morals, justice, values, and freedom itself. As the Russian writer Dostoevsky said, without God and the law, everything is permitted. Everything's permitted. Jesus is telling us you cannot do away with the law. You need it to make sense of the world, to think, to know what God requires of you. And you see, God gave us his law. It was meant to be this blessing. Uh, it was meant to be for our flourishing. Uh, this is what it says by, from the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 48. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you. What is best for you? Who directs you in the way you should go? If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your well-being like the waves of the sea. God says, I have given you a way to life, a way to freedom, a way to joy, a way to this beautiful Hebrew word for peace, shalom. To the life you have always been looking for. Uh, but because of this age of authenticity, uh, we have moved to no rules for me, I am free, let it go. But the reality is, as much as we say, I am free, that deep down we know there is a law that is governing our lives. Where do we see that? Well, Jesus, that is his second thing he declares to us in this passage. It is a law that won't go away. A law that won't go away. He, he says this in verse 18 of the, of the passage that was read to us. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by many means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus gets very specific and precise on this law. Notice he says the smallest letter which is the Hebrew letter Yod. It looks much like our apostrophe in English. Jesus is saying not even a letter much bigger than a dot will pass away. 
And then Jesus referenced uh, the least stroke of the pen, which was called in Hebrew, the Hebrew seraph. It was this, this small little line at the foot of a Hebrew letter. Jesus is saying that this law is so sacred, even the smallest detail will not disappear. And this is what we know, whether we acknowledge it or not, that in our life, there is a law that won't go away. In fact, David Zoll says that though Americans more and more are not attending church than where they were maybe 30 years ago, uh, they, they still have not done away with religion. They, they're still looking for what he says is a, is a justifying story over their lives. And so he says it this way, our religion is that which we rely on, not just for meaning or hope, but this very important, but enoughness this enoughness we're looking for enoughness what is the old bible word righteousness how how do i know i'm enough how do i how do i measure up and i think you don't have to look further than the classic movie snow white which by the way i have never quoted a disney movie in my entire history of preaching, and today I, I've quoted two Disney movies as illustrations. Uh, so if you haven't noticed, we bought Disney Plus this past week. <laughs> uh, but in this movie, the queen is standing before this mirror, and she says, mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the what? Who's, who is the fairest of them all? And the queen asks daily, and for years, the answer is always the queen. But one day, the queen asks the mirror, and she is told, there is someone better. You are not enough. And the reality is, we all experience the mirror, this law that won't go away. Just a couple weeks ago, on uh, November 18th, um, I celebrated my birthday. Uh, in case you're taking notes uh, for next year. It was a good day. I turned 38. And I, I've noticed recently a lot of compliments have come my way. Uh, but they're, they're not compliments about me, but about my wife, Rachel. Oh, Rachel, she's so beautiful. Oh, Rachel, she hasn't aged a bit since you guys have been here. On and on and on and on. And, and, and then I wait thinking they just needed to catch their breath um, before uh, they would have something to say towards me. Uh, but nothing ever comes. Just silence. And in that moment, in some small way, I experience the mirror. Some of us, we've experienced the mirror this past Thanksgiving with family. And in conversations, we find ourselves uh, saying in our heads as they, whoever they are, share about their lives and how amazing their life is. And we, we say in our heads, wow, their life is going well. Wow, things are really working out for them. And of course, through clenched teeth, we, we respond to them after they get done telling how amazing their life is. Oh, wow, I'm so happy for you. So, so happy things are going so well for you. But for many people, 
the mirror is killing them. Uh, in her book, What Made Maddie Run, Kate Fagan unpacks the story of a popular and talented freshman track star at the prestigious Ivy League Penn University who for all appearances looked to have everything going for her until she took her own life. And the even more difficult reality was that Maddie was just one of six suicide deaths in a year at Penn University. So the school began to investigate the pressures that the students were under, and they coined a phrase, penface, P-E-N-N face, penface. It was the practice of acting happy or self-assured, and even when you were sad or stressed. And at Stanford University, they have called it duck syndrome. The duck appears to glide calmly across the water, while beneath the surface, they frantically paddle. Penn University cited in their report that there is, quote, a perception that one has to be perfect in every academic and social endeavor. And the reality is, we all know the pen face. We're all looking for enoughness. We're, we all know, as the writer has said, that life is long on law and short on grace. And, and you can tell uh, what is the mirror in your life by what worries you. Are you worried that someone you love might leave you or the career you have will be taken away? Whatever frightens you that you might lose or you might never achieve, that for you is the law that won't go away. That is where you are looking for enoughness. It could be your family, it could be your job, it could be your looks. Even right now, at some level, inside of me, I am wondering, how's the sermon going? Is it going okay? No one's sleeping, so that's good. <laughs> It could be the right school, the right spouse, the right life. The law won't go away. The mirror is always judging us. You see, there's this common phrase, to err is what? To err is human. To err is human. Very common, popular phrase that nobody believes. You see, when somebody cuts you in line at the store or cuts in front of you driving. No one says in that moment as they cut in front of you, hey, no, no worries, to err is human. <laughs> We've all been in the car when somebody else was driving or you were behind the wheel yourself and you have never uttered those words when they cut in front of you. Forget about it, to err is human. We have never uttered those words. We have uttered other words because we all know there is a standard and there is a law that won't go away. The prophet Isaiah tells us that God's law was supposed to be a resting place for his people amidst their weariness, but instead the law became to them just a list of rules that they could never measure up. Uh, this is what it says in Isaiah 28. So then, the word of the Lord to them will become, do this, do that, a rule for this, a rule for that. So the questions are, if we know the law judges us and we have fallen short, 
How will we ever get this enoughness that we're looking for? And if we know the law won't go away, how will we ever get the hope we long for? How, how do we, as one song declares, ever get out of this prison cell? Well, that brings us to Jesus' last point. The law that is fulfilled. Jesus tells this crowd that is gathered on the hillside, I have come not to abolish the law. But notice he does not say, I've come not to abolish the law, to do away with it, but now I've come to keep it going. He does not say that. Jesus says, I have come to fulfill it. There is a fulfillment that happens outside of us. You see, the message of Advent, you know, Advent means the arrival of an important person. This is the message. The message of Advent. Jesus did not come into the world simply to die on a cross, but he came to live the life under the law that we could not live, the life of perfection, the life of enoughness. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in the first century who was struggling with their enoughness just like us, and this is what he said. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Jesus came to set us free from our need to measure up, from our need to be approved, from our fretting and striving and comparing and worrying. There's this great scene in the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? If you've seen the movie, the character played by Tim Blake Nelson goes into the water to be baptized. And if you've seen the movie, you may remember that scene. And, uh, and Tim Blake Nelson comes up out of the water and he tells the two other criminals that he's on the run with that he has been redeemed. And these two other criminals are in shock. And Nelson's character comes up out of the water and he declares, well, that's it, boys. I've been redeemed. My sins have been washed away, including the piggly wiggly I knocked over in Yazoo City. And you may not have a clue what a Piggly Wiggly is, but it's a grocery store in the South. And it's a beautiful thing that God has given and blessed this world. <laughs> George Clooney, one of these other criminals, is perplexed to this statement. And he says, wait, wait, wait a second. I thought you were framed for that. Because the whole movie, he's talking about how he was framed for the, the Piggly Wiggly. To which Nelson answered and replied, well... I was lying, but the Lord washed that away too. But here, like Nelson's character, is where we miss it. You see, later in the movie, there's this really telling scene where, where Nelson explains why he got baptized. And he says this, My sins have been washed away. I now have a second chance, so I need to live a good life. And what I would say is that most Christians, that is their view of the gospel. Jesus died for me. He wiped away my debts, even the debts I owed, including the Piggly Wiggly in Yazoo City. And now I have a second chance, and I need to get to work. And friends, the gospel is infinitely better than that. It's infinitely better. You see, when you put your trust in Jesus, his perfect life under the law that we could never measure up. 
His perfect life becomes our enoughness. You are declared righteous through His work. It's what the great reformer Martin Luther said, the glorious exchange. When we give up running and striving and desperately looking in the mirror, God provides all the righteousness we need, all the enoughness we need in His Son. The letter to the Romans, Paul writes these words. He says, For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. Through one man's disobedience, that that is Adam, and through one man's obedience, that is Jesus of Nazareth, we have received the righteousness we are all looking for. Tim Keller says it this way, we don't need a second chance. What we need is a second Adam. We needed somebody who would come in our place to give us the righteousness that we are all looking for and a thousand other sources. This morning, don't you see the approval you need for whatever is in the mirror you already have in Jesus? Don't you see the enoughness that you are looking for has already been taken care of? Don't you see the fretting and worrying and comparing is not needed anymore because the thing that you are looking for in Jesus this morning you already have. There's a psychiatrist from the 1900s named Carl Menninger and he ran the Menninger Clinic uh, in Kansas. And Carl, who who was not a Christian, said he could empty 70% of the beds in his psychiatric ward if he could convince his patients of four words four four words your sins are forgiven your sins are forgiven when we have been carrying deep burdens of not measuring up of falling short of never being able to get over what happened good news friends this morning your sins are Forgiven. Christ has fulfilled everything that we could not. And secondly, once we begin to see the law is fulfilled by Jesus for us, then the law will begin to be fulfilled by Jesus in us. What do I mean? Well, Jesus closes this section in the Sermon on the Mount saying, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was saying the problem with the religious leaders of that day was that they tried to keep the law by keeping the law. As the poet T.S. Eliot said, the last temptation is the greatest treason to do the right deed for the wrong reason. But Jesus tells us through his gospel, you and I will be transformed from the inside. A couple of years back, Rachel and I purchased the home that we live in now. 
And as you walk through those steps of purchasing a home, uh, you, you get to the step where you, you do the walkthrough, the final walkthrough of the house, where everything's been cleared out of the house that you are purchasing. So there we are, Rachel and I, our realtor, the, the previous owners, and we're, we're walking through this, this house, and Rachel and I are beginning to imagine with a, with a blank canvas, what, what is our life going to look like in this new home with our furniture and our stuff? But imagine that scene as, as we're, we're doing this final walkthrough with the previous owners and, and they're telling us, oh, oh, th- th- this, is, this is where the sofa goes. And, and, and over here, this is, this is where your table goes. And, in, and then in that room right there, uh, the, the, the kid's bed goes up against the wall uh, just like this. And, and at what point during that walkthrough do, do you say, uh, Thank you, thank you so much for, for your advice. But you no longer live here. <laughs> the reality is, friends, if you are a follower of Jesus, he is the new owner. He is the new owner. And we must allow him the right to rearrange our lives as he sees fit. Jesus gets to move the furniture around in our souls. And this is what the Advent season that we would say, be born in me again, Jesus. Take up residence in my life. Move the furniture how you will. Discard what we need to. Open the windows if we have to. This house is now yours. If you're here this morning and you've never put your trust and confidence in Jesus. Uh, The Bible tells us today is the day of salvation. As one song has said recently, what if it is time to let the old ways die? What if it's time to let the old ways die? When we acknowledge our need for God, that we cannot live in our own strength and in our own plans, that the law continues to judge us, God declares in that spot the work of his son, you are forgiven and you have received all of his righteousness, all of his enoughness. And if that's you this morning, today that you would pray, God, I put my trust in Jesus, his enoughness for me, my sin for his righteousness, the glorious exchange. And if you're here this morning, you've you've wandered away from God, or God feels distant to you, this is a great time to re-engage. And maybe today you would pray during this Advent season, God, be born in me again. Take up residence in my life. Make your home in me so that I can become the kind of person who lives in your kingdom with you. In closing, may you receive Jesus' invitation this Advent to follow him once again wherever you are and wherever he may lead us. And we will close with that invitation from the Matthew's gospel. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. 
I won't let anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Let's pray. And so, God, this morning, as we enter the season of Advent, be born in us again, Jesus. Make your home in us. Transform us from the inside out. Declare your goodness over us, your enoughness on our behalf, so that we can walk in freedom now and forevermore. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.